Hey, how you doing? This is Brian Kane with the Brian Kane Mental Performance Mastery Podcast. And today's guest is a star of one of the most exciting and most dangerous sports on the planet. We're talking about skeleton. Now, unlike other winter sledding sports that you'd see in the Olympics, like luge and bobsled, the skeleton is a single person event where nothing separates the rider from the rock hard ice below, but them in a small sled that blasts just inches above the track and riders can reach speeds up to 80 miles an hour when riding head first. Now, as a member of Team USA, Megan Henry is one of the sport's most recognizable stars, but she's equally, if not more impressive, away from the track than she is on it. Today on the podcast, Megan Henry opens up about being a soldier overcoming a life-threatening medical condition and how mental performance has helped her fight through adversity and become the best version of herself. Megan Henry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That was quite the intro. I really liked it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll cut that piece out and send it to you. Maybe that could be a good morning alarm clock for you. But you know, Megan, first, first off, anyone who has ever seen a skeleton race, and if you haven't, just press pause and go hit YouTube and type in skeleton. And you're going to be blown away. But for anyone who has seen a skeleton race, they know that it's incredibly dangerous. What drew you to that? Uh, well, I was actually recruited to do bobsled first. Uh, I played field hockey in college. I also ran track as a walk-on. And um, I w- they recruit people who are come from explosive sports. I mean, most people in the United States don't grow up doing bobsled or skeleton. They just don't. So they usually will pull from other sports. And so I was recruited to do bobsled. Um, and I was too small for that. <laughs> they were told me to put on 30 to 50 pounds. And I was like, yeah, that's not happening. So they told me to switch over to skeleton. They're in the same federation. And uh, I've obviously I joined the military after I, I graduated college. So I, I like, you know, high intensity uh, sports and activities. So it was a natural fit for me. So you were a field hockey player and a track athlete at American University in Washington, D.C. You grew up in Connecticut. And were you involved in other sports in high school besides just field hockey and track? Did you participate in anything else growing up? No, um, I think, well, as I got into, into high school, those were definitely my two focuses. I did, you know, random things growing up. But for the most part, from middle school on, actually, field hockey and track were my focuses. And I knew by the time I was a freshman in high school that I wanted to play uh, college field hockey. So before your career as an international skeleton star, you know, you're a division one college athlete. And in 2009, you enlisted in the United States army, eventually becoming an intelligence officer. Mm -hmm. How did both experiences prepare you for life as an athlete and on team USA? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, I think, you know, in, in both aspects, what I, what I loved about and what drew me to want to be in the military, I, ever since I was actually really young is I really like the team aspect. I also like that it, you, you know, it requires you to be brave. It requires you to be, uh, to grow as a person, to be a leader, to face challenges. And that's the same thing in sports too. Both of those, those aspects require you to be a better person and uh, you know, I, I actually grew up being somewhat of a shy and introverted person. And so this, those were my outlets and my ways to kind of overcome that and grow and, and just be better. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say you grew up shy? Very. It, <laughs> so, so, you know, why, what, what, where did this shift come from? Because if you follow you on social media, one thing we would say is that probably not to describe you would be shy, but then again, what you see on social media isn't always like, you know, what people really are, but I would imagine just a little bit that I know you, you're very genuine and, and true in what you're putting out there. So when did you make that shift? 
<laughs> well, I think, I mean, I would consider myself an extroverted introvert, I think. Um, so like if I go and I first uh, enter a, you know, a large group, my first thing is that I'm usually watching people. I'm not the first person who's going to like come and overtake the room. That's just not how I am. So I think, um, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm totally completely shy. I just think that it takes me a minute to kind of observe and feel comfortable and then I'll come out of my shell. So, uh, but I, I know, I guess maybe in college I kind of made that shift. Okay. So it's something that's kind of been a progression. You feel like it's something that you're still growing into is kind of being maybe a little bit more of the extrovert and a little bit more maybe assertive than you were growing up. For sure. I think, you know, obviously uh, with some of the success and stuff that I've had um, and, you know, being on your podcast, for example, you, you, that kind of is required. You know, I've been interviewed a bunch of times, so you kind of get more comfortable just being you. <laughs> so what, what did you study when you were in school at American? I tell people public affairs, but I had an interdisciplinary major. It was called CLEG, which stands for Communications, Law, Economics, and Government. So did you always want to get into the Army? And what kind of made you want to join the Army? So uh, I wanted to join ever since I was a little girl. Um, I had considered it when I was in college to do ROTC, but I mean, most people listening, if they play a Division One sport, they know that that's your life. So I was like, Oh man, I'm not going to do that because I'll have no life. <laughs> sure. And, uh, and I had partial scholarship as a freshman and then I get, I got a full scholarship as I uh, progressed. So I was, I didn't need it for, you know, financial reasons, which was nice that I was in that position. But, um, I, uh, I, when I was younger, I actually had a recruiter come to my parents' house. <laughs> when I was like 12 or 13. And my dad was like, what in the world is this guy doing here? But the recruiter came and he talked to me and I, that kind of stuck with me. So when I was looking for a job after, um, excuse me, when I was about to graduate from college, I wanted a position with the FBI and I was applying to a bunch of federal jobs and they were like, you need three to five years work experience and a master's degree. And I was like, what are you doing at an undergrad job fair? Cause I have neither of those. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, uh, I am, I remembered that and I was like, well, I'm going to join the, I join the army reserve and I'm going to get my master's degree at the same time. Nice. And if you, are you still working on the master's or are you done with that now? I'm done. I'm done with my master's. I actually started a second one, but, uh, due to financial reasons, I haven't finished it, but I, I started one course for uh, sports psychology would be my second, but um, my first one is in intelligence studies and I'm an intelli intelligence officer, excuse me. Okay. So you, so your second master's is going to be, in, was going to be in sports psychology. Now, before we, we let's, take, <laughs> let's take a quick little dovetail here because obviously I, I have my master's in sports psychology from Cal State Fullerton and studied under the great Ken Revisa. And what made you decide you want to do a master's in sports psychology? I think my involvement in skeleton. So I think Skeleton, I would argue, is one of the most mentally demanding sports. And um, I, I, I've, you know, likened it to being like an MMA fighter, just having to be in that, that focus. And not that other sports don't. I mean, like field hockey and track certainly require that same mental focus. But I think that the effects of not having your mental game in line are exponential at, in Skeleton. And so uh, that was really noticeable to me early on in my career that I did not have my mental stuff together. And so, um, as I've kind of moved along, I think just realizing how important that was and how it's affected me and helped me in my athletic career. It's just stuff that I wish that I had known sooner. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I've gravitated towards that. I also minored in psychology in college and I, I really like the mental side and seeing how people think and why they do things. And 
So that's kind of why, why I'm gravitated towards it. Wow. Well, I want to make sure we come back and revisit, revisit that, uh, <laughs> you know, that passion for sports psychology and the mental game. And, and, you know, I can only, if everybody wants to talk about how golf is the most mentally challenging game that there is, right. Cause you play, that is true. And, yeah, it takes, <laughs> it takes four and a half hours, but you're only executing a skill for, for 12 minutes, but you're not going 80 miles an hour or the <laughs> ice wall with a half an inch blade underneath you with your face being four inches off the ice. So I may have to rethink that statement of, of golf being the most mental game there is, but we'll, we'll come back to that, Megan. I want to first though, let's go back to 2013. And in 2013, it's one of the most difficult times of your life. It's a year before the 2014 Olympic season, and you develop blood clots in your lungs. How concerned were the doctors? Extremely. Um, so what ended up happening was, so that was actually happened to me, sorry, in 2012. And I, um, I had just finished my season. Our season goes from October to March. And so in March of 2012, I had finished the season as a national champion, which was super exciting. And um, I went through that summer and uh, every, every year we do a combine test, which is kind of like the NFL combine where, you know, we're evaluated on sprints and lifts and agility. And uh, I went to go take this combine and I couldn't even do a warm up lap. I was just extremely out of breath. I couldn't even carry a conversation. And I'm like, how am I going to complete this thing? Somehow to cut the story short, I ended up making it through all of these events. I had one of the highest combine scores and I left and I was like, I got to go to the doctor's office right now. Cause I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't warm up. I couldn't have a conversation. I was barely able to like stand while I'm talking to people, um, you know, in between the temps and stuff, it was just insane. And so, um, I ended up having to see a series of doctors because they, just couldn't really nail down what the cause was. I had presented what the cause was, which I can mention if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got it from a birth control. Um, I I knew that that because my lifestyle was very rigid, how I eat and when I sleep and how I train, all of that is the same. I knew that this one thing I had started was probably the cause. And um, I was living in Utah at the time. There were fires and stuff. And so people were like, yeah, you know, maybe you have a upper respiratory infection. In total, I saw five doctors and I finally saw a pulmonologist who was like, I think this is really serious. I think you have uh, pulmonary embolisms, which are blood clots in your lungs. I need to rush you to get a CAT scan and then to the hospital. And so I remember really vividly sitting there waiting for the results of the CAT scan. I did a CAT scan on my lungs and they did ultrasound of my legs and I'm sitting in this room and they hand me the phone and it's the doctor and he's like, Megan, I'm sending an ambulance to come get you. This is really serious. You have multiple uh, pulmonary embolisms in both lungs and it looks like somebody took paint and splattered them on your lungs. And there's one off of the main branch of your pulmonary artery. That's why you've ha- been having such a hard time talking and breathing and everything. And, uh, I was just hysteric. I just hysterically started crying, you know, cause I, it, that happened, like I said, September 11th, actually of 2012 and it took me to the hospital and they were like, you know, you're not, you're, you're definitely not competing this year and, uh, you might not ever be an athlete ever again. Mm-hmm. And so that's, <laughs> for an athlete, I mean, we all, we like to say that, you know, you're not what you do, but, um, uh, being an athlete for so long, that is something that you really have a strong identity to. So I was like, well, man, if I, if I'm not an athlete, who am I, you know, it's kind of an identity, identity crisis. <laughs> you could have died. 
Totally. It was so scary. And I had flown, which is super dangerous. I flew across the country and uh, they were just like, you know, you're, you're a t- ticking time bomb. You're so lucky that you're still here. And I actually had a classmate from American University who, who passed away from the same thing. And, um, and I didn't know it at the time. And um, it was super scary because it was just like, I mean, not being able to breathe is horrible. That's why I can empathize with people who are going through the coronavirus issues right now. I mean, it's a really horrifying thing, not being able to breathe. And then um, knowing that, you know, they were like, I don't know how you're still here because it was just so dangerous that what you were, what you were going through. So yeah, it was, it was super frightening. And then um, being, being told, you know, you might not ever be an athlete ever again is also in itself frightening. <laughs> so they pick you up in the ambulance and from, from where you did the combine and they get rushed to the hospital. And is there a surgery? Is it, is it bed rest? Like what's that process like? So I was, um, so this wasn't straight from the combine. I had flown across the country, came home. I was prepping to go to what we, we have push championships, um, which is just testing the running start in skeleton. And I was prepping for that. And then I ended up, um, being rushed to the hospital via ambulance. And, um, I was bedridden for a week and they start giving you blood thinners, which are these horrible injections in the stomach. They're absolutely terrible. So anybody who's experienced that it's awful. And uh, so they're waiting, they're trying to make your blood stabilize and thin out so that um, basically so that these clots don't break free and then, you know, cause a stroke or a heart attack or something even more serious. So they're just trying to stabilize you. And so that I was there, I was kept there for a week. And then when I left, um, because of the blood thinner that I was on, I had to get tested all the time to make sure that my blood was stable. And um, so I was on Coumadin. That's not true for all blood thinners. So today people probably won't even do that. But um, so I was constantly in and out of doctor's offices. And when, when I left the hospital, they were like, you can walk for 10 minutes a day. You can breathe into this little contraption and try and increase your lung capacity. And for me, that was, you know, bizarre because I had gone from training five to six days a week, sometimes twice a day to now I can, and being in arguably the best shape of my life and uh, being told you can walk for 10 minutes a day. And I was also in and out of the doctor's office in the beginning anyway, for sometimes five times a week. So I'm like, I'm sitting here with like, geriatric patients in the waiting room. Like, you know, it's just a completely flip my world upside down. It was really, really strange. Mm. You know, and, and Megan, a lot of people when going through an experience like this, they, they would feel, you know, personally defeated and discouraged and, and depressed. And did you have any of those emotions? And if so, how did you overcome this experience? For sure. I, I really, um, I mentally had a really hard time, especially when I was always in and out of doctor's offices. That was, that was, draining, I think, emotionally. And the fact that a lot of people didn't know, they're like, well, you look fine. You know, <laughs> you look fine. What's wrong with you? Why, why are you not competing this year? You know, that, that was definitely difficult uh, for me to deal with. But um, the, and when they said, you know, you may never be an athlete ever again, I just really, I could not hear that. It was, mm-hmm. um, so for me, I decided that um, I'm going to envision that I'm going to be cleared, you know, w- way before that they say I am, it didn't happen, but, uh, I'm going to visualize that and I'm going to, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm going to 
I'm going to slide at the end of this year at, at minimum, I'm going to slide. Um, and so I, I just had to be, kind of be forward thinking so that I had something to look forward to and to work towards. And so that I had a purpose other than just going to the doctor's office. And, um, that was what helped me. I had to just envision that long-term that this is, this is not my reality. And, um, I mean, that might not work for everybody, right? You know, you know, you may really actually have uh, a blood clotting disorder, which I luckily did not have. And uh, I felt deep down that I didn't, I, I just, you know, I felt like that was not going to be my reality. So that's what I told myself. And, um, I, so I just kept looking kind of in the long, long distance and, uh, it wasn't always easy. It really, it really wasn't, but that was, I think, again, what, what gave me purpose. You know, you t- you've talked about kind of purpose and setting that goal for yourself of trying to get back on the sled and sliding. And right now, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of the Corona season. You know, it's, it's May 2020. And a lot of athletes who will be listening to this high school, college, uh, professional, their seasons have just ended. Now the professional seasons, obviously will start back up at some point, but for the, for the you know, high school seniors, spring athletes. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a season. You're a senior in college. You don't have a season. And do you want to, you know, you're going to graduate, but do you want to spend all that money to come back and have a fifth year? You know, so what you went through with being in the peak shape of your life, you're our national champion. And all of a sudden now that just all gets put on pause and, and completely outside of your control, put on pause. You don't know necessarily when it's going to come back to. It was similar to what athletes are going through right now with the Corona season. They just don't have a sickness. They just don't have mm-hmm. a virus. It's just, it's the world that shut them down per se. So what advice would you have for athletes right now that are going through this difficult time with the Corona season that, you know, you can kind of relate to your experience when you're going through this, this sickness? That's a great question. I think for me, I also had to reflect on how well I had done and what I was proud of. I was really, I was so proud of how I was able to win national championships and kind of reflect on that. I totally, I, I, my heart breaks for the seniors because I, I can't imagine what that's like. I, I can't, even though what I went through is kind of similar. It is weird to not have sort of that closure to, to that chapter of your athletic career. But, um, I would say that for me, I think that I would have to one reflect on what I did, um, what I had accomplished and be grateful for that. If you choose to come back to the sport and you want to do a, a, a fifth year, you know, that's awesome. And I would, if, if that's your goal, I would put everything I had into that to making it absolutely amazing. And I would do everything like what I'm doing right now is, um, they've talked about that our season, we may not have a season in the fall, who knows that, you know, everything kind of changes day by day, but you know, whether we do or not, my day to day process is the same. Like I'm still training hard. I'm acting as if that's the case. And I still have my long-term goals. And so I know that's a little bit different for the seniors, uh, especially the college seniors who aren't, you know, the high school seniors at least maybe are still playing in college. But um, I guess if if you are going to come back and play, I would make sure that it was my best season ever. (laughs) You know, I would put everything into that. And if you didn't, if you're not going to go and you're not going to take that fifth year, that's still okay. And I think that, um, and, and talking about that and being upset about that is totally normal. And that's 
absolutely acceptable. But at the same time, you can be really proud of what you did and you can take that same drive and that passion forward in whatever it is that you're going to do, you know, your new job, that stuff, everything, everything that you're going through now, like I'm going to have an end to my career eventually, but I still am going to bring what I bring to my competitive sports to other avenues in my life. I'll probably find something else that I like to compete in. You know, I'm going to still carry on that same attitude and drive the competitiveness, the, the drive to be a better person and a better athlete or competitor or whatever it may be those things haven't left you, you know, those still are still traits that you have and you can carry on to, to other avenues. Yeah. I think that, I think you're spot on there with taking, taking, taking what they learn, what athletes have learned about competing and being an athlete and using a lot of those same skills as you charge forward in whatever it is that you do, the team, the teamwork, the time management, the physical work ethic that it takes just because you're quote unquote, not between the lines as an athlete anymore. That doesn't mean you go sit on a couch and don't do anything anymore. You still right. train, <laughs> you still come, you still compete. You just find something else, you know, whether it's competing to get yourself in the best shape of your life. I mean, at 41, I'm in better shape than I ever was as a high school or college athlete, just simply because I'm probably more committed to it than I ever was and have more resources, et cetera. But I think as you, as you grow, you realize that training isn't work. Training is fun. It's what you want to do. It's what makes mm-hmm. you feel good. It's what, it's like how you learn about yourself. So as you, as you get the pause button pressed on your life and on your competitive career and you start making the comeback, take, take us through that comeback season. What was that like? When did it start? When did you start training and, and how, how, what was it like until you got back on the sled? So, uh, the, the following, or excuse me, I missed the 2012, or yep, end of 2012 to 2013 season. So I came back 2013, 2014, which so this is, is the October Olympic of 2012 year. until March of 2013. You're out. Is that right? I was out. Yep. Okay. And then, uh, so October of 2013 is actually the Olympic trial. So we have it that fall and the Olympics are February of 2014. Okay. And so it, it's the same thing, excuse me, every, um, Olympic year. It's yep. the fall of the previous year <laughs> that we have our Olympic trials. And so, um, I competed and I was like, I was barely in the top 10, you know, and what's unique about skeleton is that one, you can only do it six months out of the year. (laughs) And, um, two, you can't really fabricate experience. Um, I'll get back to that because you can, I think now I've kind of changed my mindset in that. Mm. And I'm using that in my, uh, off season now. However, um, it's hard to, hmm, I, I would say it's hard to be like, okay, I've been sliding for 10 years when you've only been sliding for one, sure. because it's, there's just talent, skill and the, you know, processing mentally, all of these things are, there's skills that are, that you have to grow. So, uh, I kind of had some people who were below me that had leapfrogged me and I'm, I mentally was kind of in a not amazing place going into team trials. Once I knew that, uh, especially after the first race, I was like, oh my God, you know, these people are ahead of me. What is happening? <laughs> I was a national champion. Now what's happening? <laughs> I'm in the top 10. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, t- thinking about this and talking about it now, I'm like, man, man I've grown a lot. Yeah. So it's, it's cool to, to talk about it. But, um, so for me, it was, it was really hard. And once I knew like for sure, okay, I'm not going to make an Olympic team then, um, I was just 
dead set on trying to just get better and get back to my foundational um, sliding skills rather than trying to force results. I think that was kind of what I was doing in the beginning. I'm like, oh, but I got to make this team, you know, and you're trying to, to force things and skeleton and most sports don't work like that. If you're not relaxed and fluid and calm, the, those results don't come. You can't force that. And so the following year I was like, okay, I'm just, I really just want to build myself up in, in ranking. And that, that's what I can do right now. That's what's under my control. And so, um, I made the national team the following year. So 2014 to 2015. And so we have two circuits, um, for the national team. One is world cup. That's the top level. Those are the people who go to the Olympic games. And then there's intercontinental cup, which is a national team. And I was like, well, I didn't make the world cup team, but I'm going to qualify for world championships and I'm going to uh, make the world championship team, which isn't always easy to do from the intercontinental cup or ICC circuit because the points are scaled differently. World mm. cup gets more points based on rank and ICC doesn't. So I ended up qualifying and making the world championship team. And that for me, I think was a really big turning point after, you know, that missing a season and then having a comeback season. And I did, I progressed really well through that comeback season, but I think making the world championship team was like, okay, I still belong here. You know, that was, um, the end that I'm not out of my mind for, <laughs> for still pursuing this after being out for a year, you know, and, and, um, that really made me, I think really focus more on the, the mental aspect of competing and, you know, set, really setting goals for myself and how can I attain these? What do I, what are the next steps to, to reach these goals? And, uh, it's, it has been a slow road back. I must say <laughs> like it really has, but nothing happens in the time that we want it to. It happens in the time that it's supposed to. Uh-huh. And, um, I think it, everything has worked out as it should. And I, and I, uh, I'm so, so happy. Like this year was the first year that I, this is years later, five years later, you know, I made the world championship team in 2015 and I made my first world cup team in 2019. And however, in that time, you know, I've, I've built, I've gone up in rank and world ranking and national ranking. I made two additional world championship teams. Like there, there are a lot of steps in there. <laughs> there's a lot that's happened, but yeah. it was a slow road for me to make my world cup team, my world cup debut, but I had an awesome world cup debut. It was, I mean, unbelievable. I loved every second of it. And, um, I had a lot of really, really good results. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next two years because for me, I'm quote unquote old, I'm 32. And so, um, after the 22 Olympic games, that's probably it for me. I'm probably, I'm retiring after, not probably it is. I'm retiring after the 2022 games. And and knowing that the 2022 Olympic games is going to be, you know, your, your last go at skeleton in a a world championship Olympic type of environment. Does that create pressure on you or does that actually increase the pleasure for you? Because you know, Hey, this is coming to an end in just a couple of years. So I'm going to exhaust every single opportunity I have and I'm going to enjoy this process. What has what that mindset been like for you? Uh, I, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think now, you know, as I've grown as an athlete, uh, I see it. And now that I've had my first real World Cup experience and competing at the highest level, um, 
I see it less as pressure. I think I used to see it as pressure. And I think that's probably why I didn't make the World Cup team until this past season, because I saw it as this is something I need to do uh, versus something that I want to do. And um, now I see it as like, yeah, there's there's an expiration date here. And I this is it. This is my this is my last opportunity. I've been to, you know, two Olympic trials before this. And this is my last one. And so, um, it, you know, it's, it's bittersweet when you say it out loud, but it feels like it's tomorrow, but it's not, <laughs> but, uh, there's, it, it comes opportunity. And I think like there's days that I don't feel like training. There's days that I, you know, I I'm in a bad mood. I mean, I'm, I'm a human being just like anybody else, but when I'm like, man, this is, you're going to have so there's not very many of these days left. And even though it's like, I don't feel amazing and hundred percent, like this is one of the last days that I have to, to pursue this like this and have this be my only focus. So I do, I see it as an opportunity. So the Olympic games are, are 2022 and they're in February, 2022. What's the month? That's you know? correct. Yep. February okay. of 2022. So February, 2022, it's now March, 2020. Olympic trials are going to be October or the fall of 2021 to get you ready. So you've got, if it's now May and let's say October, so June, July, August, May. So you've got about 18 months until October 2021, <laughs> right? Yeah. So one of the things, and, and you know, I, uh, one of the things you could do, I think this would be really cool is, um, are you familiar with my jar of pennies? Do you know why I have this jar I of pennies? I am not. Oh, hang on. You're going to love this. Okay, good. <laughs> So I picked up this idea from Kirk Cousins, who's a quarterback for the Minnesota Is this Vikings. a money in the bank thing? No, no. We're coming to money <laughs> in the bank, though. It's the segue. It's <laughs> the natural segue. It's in this jar, right? And it's if you go to a website called thedeathclock.org, and you type okay. in based off of my height, my weight, my age, I'm a smoker, I'm a drinker, my BMI, all that, it'll kick you out of date and say, okay, you, you're based off of this algorithm, you will make it until October, 2056, right? So what I do is I ask Siri, hey, Siri, how many months are there until October, 2056? And she says, you know, there are 452 months until October, <laughs> 2056. So I put a penny in the jar for every month. And my wife and I did the same thing. And what we do is on the first day of every month, we take a penny out of the jar and we reflect on, hey, how are we living? Are we living in alignment with the best life that we could have, who we want to be, what we want to do? And it's just almost like, a checkup going, Hey, there's, there's only two guarantees in life, taxes <laughs> and death, you know? So I think for you, something you could do is get a jar and take a penny for every day between now and, uh, when the Olympic games are, find out what the last day of the Olympic games is in 2022, put a penny in a jar for every day since. And when you wake up or maybe before you, before you go to bed, you take the penny out and then you, and you'd say, Hey, this is one day gone. There's, it may look like there's a lot in here, but there's not, there's not that yeah. many. It, oh it's my gosh. not forever, right? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, it makes me anxious almost. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and sometimes, sometimes <laughs> they, that anxiety is, is, is a privilege, right? Because it, yeah. it, it's the check up from the neck up to go, Hey, there it is. That's what I got left. So mm -hmm. some people look at that and go, Oh my God, that's all I got left. Oh, that sucks. It's so depressing. I look at it and go, shit, that's all I got left. I better start exhausting the tank. I better go get <laughs> exactly. another workout in today. I better, I better, you know, that house I've been thinking about getting on a golf course. Maybe it's time for me to pull the trigger on that because there's not that many rounds of golf left to play each month I got left, you know? So yeah. think, wow, thinking about it that sweet. way. Yeah. Thinking about it that way. And then the other thing you do is you take your jar and you kind of, 
if you come across some kind of motivational quote or an idea or a mindset or something, maybe like you kind of script it on the glass or something like that. And then you have yeah. this thing for the rest of your life, you know? And then when the Olympics are done, you have the same jar and then it just becomes the Aww. next task, you know, whatever it is. Does that make sense? I like it. I do. I really like that. And it's like putting money in the bank. And I know you've talked about <laughs> the idea of putting money in the bank, you know, and when it comes to kind of making those small steps towards achieving your goal, talk to us, Megan Henry. What does it mean for you when you're saying putting money in the bank? Why is this idea important? And what is it? So like, especially now, like during the whole coronavirus thing and, and there's kind of no end in sight, so to speak. Um, I, I'm stealing Brian's phrase here, putting money in the bank. Um, I think that making it's, your, it's all, yours now. It's yours now. It's mine now. Okay. <laughs> uh, just making the small steps matter and count. Um, like I said, you know, I returned from from blood clots, and I was like, okay, I'm going to make the national team. I'm going to make a world championship team, and then making the World Cup team. It, all of those things came from putting money in the bank one penny at a time putting money in the bank and i mean it may not sound like a lot but over time those pennies add up and i think um you know that's still my mindset i think moving forward is that you know those those days for me are limited from now until the olympic games and i have to make those days count and my you know my placement on the team i finished the season and i was the number one ranked american that's not guaranteed it's not guaranteed for me next year. And like I know you've talked about Navy SEALs before, and they have the statement, you know, earn your trident every day. And because it's not guaranteed to you. And um, I know there's people chomping at the bit, and I, I have a target on my back. And people aren't happy that I was number one American. And that, that's totally fine. But um, I think I also see myself kind of in an underdog position. I don't really see myself as being the number one American. It's a, kind of weird to, to think of it, but, um, I think, yeah, just every day trying to make those pennies count. <laughs> What's the compound effect, right? It's one of, one of, one of the books I would probably referenced the most by Darren Hardy. And have you read the compound effect yet? No, I haven't. I got to read that. It's on my to-do yeah, list. Well, it's, it's coming. It's coming in the mail. I was going to ship you a copy. And in the compound effect, Darren Hardy asked a question about the million dollar penny, right? And this is in the 30 day program. And maybe that's where you picked it up is, you know, he says, what would you rather have a check for $3 million or a penny that doubles every day for a month? And most people say, oh, give me the $3 million because they want the instant quick gratification in the microwave society that we live in instead of understanding the compound effect and your concept of just putting money in the bank. And one penny doubled every day for a month, Megan, is $10 million at the end of a 31-day month. Wow, so if you keep, it's incredible, right? You think about it, what's one little penny doubled every day for a month is $10 million at the end of a 31-day month. So if you think about just keep making deposits, and if you keep making deposits, I'm getting goosebumps, man, as we're talking about this. If you keep <laughs> making deposits somewhere between February 4th and February 20th, 2022, when you're getting ready to jump on a sled and go win an Olympic medal, you're going to say, there's nothing else I could do. The money's in the bank. Now it's time. To go <laughs> now it's time to go take my withdrawal. I love it. The money's in the bank. I actually have a sign um, in front of my squat rack that says, put money in the bank. <laughs> love that. And, you got, and I, I want to see that sign. And I just did a Google search from May 4th, which is today, May 4th, 2020 until the last day of the Winter Olympics. I looked that up. The last day of the Winter Olympics is February 20th, 2022. 
between May 4th, 2020 and February 20th, 2022, there is one day, 657 times. And that would be my suggestion in terms of the mindset is to don't count the days, make the days count. Mm -hmm. And today is the most important day of your, of your skeleton career, Megan Henry, because it's today. It's the only day you can touch. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today's a gift. It's what we call it the present. So can you go all in on today and get the most that you can out of today? That doesn't mean you have to kill yourself with a workout every day and break down and get injured. It means you got a plan for the day. You get up, you attack your plan, you work your plan, you invest in yourself, you invest in your sport, you invest in your recovery, and mm -hmm. you do everything you possibly can to align with giving you the best chance for success come February 20. 2022. I like it. I think, yeah, thinking about getting 1% better than the day before. I know like 1% doesn't sound like a lot, but after 30 days, it's 30%. And uh, I think I've grown a lot as an athlete to, um, like I used to train five, six days a week, sometimes twice a day. Now I train four, but they're really focused. I think as you get older as an athlete, you know, you're not just strolling into workouts and showing up and doing the bare minimum. Like when I go in and I work and I get stuff done and, uh, and I really value recovery. And I think that that has, has added. And so I appreciate that you said that, that, you know, are you, are you considering your recovery? Are you getting better and doing that? Because I think a lot of athletes sometimes think that I got to be busting my butt every day in the gym. And if I'm not sore and sweating and da, 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 all day long, like that's not necessarily the case. Like you need to be smart about what you're doing here, bro. You got to be training and recovering and, and sleep and all of that. Everything. It's like it's such a collective package, which I think is why I love being an athlete because it's all got to be there. <laughs> well, especially at the level that you're at, you're trying to be the number yeah. one in the world. And when you're trying to be number one in the world, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> It's called the illusion of choice. The illusion of choice is, well, I get to make decisions on what I want to do. No, <laughs> I want to be number one in the world. There are no decisions. You don't, you, 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 there are no decisions. It's, does this help me get to where I want to be? Yes or no. Then I'm doing it or I'm not. Yeah. And a, great, a couple of great things for you that I think you can take and use and add to your mindset. I see you taking notes there is 99% is a bitch. hundred percent is a breeze. If you're 99% committed to your nutrition, every time you drive by that, that McDonald's or the place that you like to go that you know is not going to fuel you for optimal performance, you have to make the decision. Is today the day I go in there or not? Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's when you're 100% committed and, you, and you, you just eliminate the decision making, and it's not for the rest of your life, it's just for the next day, 657 times. You know, and Michael Phelps, Here's a, another book to add to, to your list, right? As a guy who's- Listen to No Limits. Oh, here's what we're talking about, right? Doesn't take a day off for seven years. There's one seventh advantage. Michael Phelps trained every day for like seven years, right? He missed a day because he got his wisdom teeth removed and he missed a day because there was a snowstorm in Baltimore and the pool was closed. <laughs> Other than that, the guy was training every day. Three parts of Michael Phelps' mindset in his mental training program. One was a daily breathing practice, right? Which- We'll talk about kind of as a way to stay present. Two, as he said, do what needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. Just do the damn work. Nobody wants to hear your excuses. Do the work. Don't tell me about the labor. Just show me the baby. And then the third one he said was, when you get knocked off course, get back on as quick as you can. Because not Michael Phelps, not me, not you, not the people listening to this. No one is perfect. Everyone is going to make mistakes, but the focus on progress, not perfection. Because if you set yourself up and the goal is perfection, 
which you're going to have to come really freaking close to perfection in 657 days to come home with a gold medal, but you can't focus on the perfection. You have to focus on making progress between now and then, and then trust that your process is going to give you the damn product that you're looking for on that day. Does that make sense? For sure. Totally. You know, and you talked about 1% better every day. Megan Henry, have you read my book, The 1% Intention? Um, don't be mad at me, but no, I haven't. <laughs> the question, you have not read it yet. So I wrote yes, a book called yeah. The 1% Intention. Now, let me share this with you. I'm going to send you the book. I don't want to ruin the story for you. But in the book, it talks about this. Everyone talks about 1% better. And I'm so fired up that you did because most of the people that we have on, had on the podcast so far, UFC world champion, Rich Franklin, Olympic silver medalist, Lindsey Fry, you know, some, some, some of our guests, Legit all, people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Legit, right? I mean, world, we're trying to bring the best. Deneen Taylor, world champion and tie down calf roping. I think she won the world championship at 52. Just no quit wow. mentality. But when everyone talks about getting 1% better, here's what it is. Is it's investing 1% of your day into yourself. And 1% of a day, Megan, is 14 minutes and 24 seconds. That's 1%. You have, you have 114 minute and 24 second segments of a 24 hour day. And if we want to get 1% better, then you say, okay, well, where am I investing that 1% of my time, my 14 minutes and 24 seconds. And personally, my 14, 24 is 10 minutes of the daily calm meditation, three minutes of success hotline, two minutes of the daily stoic every day. Couldn't pay me not to do it. And that's my 1% intention. Now I know for you, you're currently going through our 30 day athletes program, which I intentionally tried to design to be about 14 minutes and 24 seconds a day. If you do the reading, some people read at different speeds and watch the video, but how have mental performance techniques like you've talked about so many today, putting money in the bank, controlling what you can control, visualization, having a process. I mean, you've met, you've, you've talked about a ton of them already is how have the mental performance techniques and things that you've learned, you know, helped you on your journey? Oh my gosh. Immensely. Like I said, I reflecting on my day one and skeleton, I've grown so much, but I think, um, what I believe has set me apart from some of my teammates and competitors. I mean, I can't speak, I don't know what they do, but I like to think that it sets me apart <laughs> is that, uh, I have a, a really rigid morning routine and, um, sometimes that's really hard. Like when you're traveling a lot, you're changing time zones and switching countries my morning routine is that uh, I wake up usually like 5, 5.30, and sometimes I'm competing at 9 or 10, so then I'll switch that even earlier just so I have time to kind of – I don't feel rushed in the morning. But anyway, I, I wake up, and I meditate, and I usually meditate for a minimum of 15 minutes, maybe 30 maybe up to an hour. It, it just depends on how much time that I have. So, um, And I like to meditate. Some of that is deliberate meditation and some of that I might do a guided meditation. It depends how I feel and also will include some sort of visualization or mental imagery. Um, I also journal and I talk about like some of the things that I'm grateful for. I talk about some of the things that uh, my goals that I want to happen as if they have already happened or in the present moment. And, um, and I just, and I, I also do gratitude. I think that's really, really big. Um, and so those are kind of the staples of my, uh, my morning routine that uh, I do in and out of season and, uh, nobody take my secrets. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not a secret, but, um, I think it's allowed me to be really present and grounded and has kind of changed how, um, how I approach competing and how I approach coming back from mistakes and like how quickly you rebound. I think there's, there's always going to be some sort of, um, a, you know, emotional reaction or response if you 
if you screw up or, you know, there's frustration, like we're human beings is that stuff's going to happen. But I think being able to come back to the present moment and rebound quickly is super important, especially in skeleton, you know, you have only two heats in a race. Um, the Olympic games, there's four heats over two days, but two heats is not a long time. You only have six practice runs, which is roughly six minutes before you compete. And, um, I think that makes skeleton and, and bobsled, you know, one of the most unique competitive atmospheres, because how many people do you know that have practiced for six minutes before they <laughs> actually compete? Most people are, they're in training camps. They go to this, they have had a spring season and a fall season and, you know, <laughs> summer camps and all of this, they they're doing all of this outside training. And so, um, being able to stay in the present moment and come back is absolutely massive for success in, in skeleton. That's amazing. I didn't realize that it was that, it was that like perfectionist. It's almost like in figure skating, same thing. Like you go out, you do your warm up, and then you're off the ice and then you're back on and go compete. And you get like your one opportunity that day. At least you get two runs a day for two days. You know, they get that, they get that one chance, but it's wild. Like when you think about most people's experience in traditional sport, you know, of, you know, baseball, the, the baseball practice before the game, like the warm up, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, batting practice and infield and outfield takes like as long as the actual game. I, I mean, know. It's, it's crazy, you know? So, you think about some of those, those things that you mentioned, and I want to come back to some of those and drill into some detail, uh, but something you talked about, kind of that human response, right? Rebounding from mistakes. And I heard another person uh, who, who I have high, high respect for, mental performance coach, was, was a, um, a middle linebacker at Army in West Point and, and went on and, and did tours in Iraq and tours in Afghanistan, came back, did a master's degree at Cal State Fullerton, same place I did, then did a PhD at Georgia. And I heard him, him speak. And I'm not mentioning his name because I didn't ask him if I could mention his name, so I'm not going to say it. But he's now working in professional baseball as a, as a mental performance coach. And one thing he said was, when I asked him, "Hey, what? When you went to combat, came back, did your masters with Ken Revisa, same program I did, you know, and then went back and came back? How was combat different for you the second time?" Mm. And he said, "I had more tools to learn how to respond to my response." And I'm, and I was like, well, "What do you mean?" He said, "I had more training." to learn how to respond to my emotions when you're getting gunfire, when you lose a soldier, when you're not getting the results you want, things are long days and things are getting hard. He goes, I had more tools to respond to my response. So I had a more productive response, a more positive response, a more present response, and I was able to better lead. And I just thought that was so cool about responding to your response and almost saying, okay, press pause, Take, take a, you know, fly, fly your mental drone up above yourself and say, <laughs> Megan, are you having the right response to this situation? Okay, <laughs> bring that drone back down into you, right? It's almost like having that evaluation, which is really, really hard to do. But the way I think you develop that skill is, is by what you're doing of meditation. And that's a big part of it. So when you're doing your meditation, Megan, is it something that you use an app like Headspace or Calm? Or is it something that you just do on your own? Like, how do you do your meditation? I, I do it all. I mean, it, it really depends on how I'm feeling. Um, right now I'm actually going through Sam Harris's waking up course. He, he has 50 day, uh, meditation course. I'm actually doing that as part of my guided meditation. Um, I also really like Dr. Joe Dispenza. Um, but I would say that his meditations are more along the lines of mental imagery because you're kind of like thinking about something that you want to achieve or how you want to be. So that I think that's more like mental imagery side. So, um, I, I would say that I do both of them together. Like I, I, I do both like actual meditation, um, sometimes silent, sometimes guided. And uh, sometimes the actual, like thinking about mental imagery stuff that's 
not coming from me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I have used Headspace um, and I kind of just, like I said, I kind of just switch around. So right now I'm doing Sam Harris's uh, Waking Up app. How do you differentiate between meditation and mental imagery? I think people, I think they're very, may well before I say anything else, how do you differentiate between meditation and mental imagery? So I think um, meditation is more focusing on, for me anyway, I can't speak for everybody, but for me personally, uh, I, I'm focusing on my breathing and trying to be really present and aware and like in control of my heart rate and my, and trying to calm my thoughts. And this is again, coming back to like your response, I guess, is that you're, you're going to get lost in thoughts, but can you come back? Can you come back to your breathing and just focus on one thing? Um, so I think that for me is the meditation aspect and just sitting and being present and with yourself and, uh, kind of redirecting your, your thoughts, but not being, overly judgmental to yourself either. And then uh, I would say the mental imagery stuff is deliberate. I would say visualization on something in particular. I mean, it could be for me, obviously it's going to be sports oriented, but it could be you and your career, you you visualizing what car you want to drive. I mean, it really could be anything. Um, So I think for me, those are the, the, the different things is that um, meditation is more being present and visualization is more thinking about something that I want. And if you're, you know, if you if you follow your Instagram story and follow your Instagram posts, you know, there's there's some pictures on there of you, obviously at the gun range and dialing in the gun, and I'm assuming <laughs> that ties in with some of the training that you're doing from from the army standpoint. Do you use visualization with shooting and learning some of the other tactics that you have to learn because of your role in the army? That's a good question. You know, I I think um, hmm, I haven't for most of my career. I think because I didn't really have this, these skills, but, um, Hmm. And, and I also don't have to qualify that often, but I think for me, when, when I knew, so I actually had to qualify, uh, last summer. Um, and I was qualify? like, uh, sorry, qualify on the rifle M16. Okay. And I was like, okay, I want to be an expert <laughs> in this. So and I, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't own an M16 or an, uh, sorry, AR-15 on the civilian side. So um, I might, I just used like a little BB gun outside and I was like, I'm going to just practice this and practice how I'm going to breathe and be calm because it's been a while since I've qualified. So I, I think sort of, yeah, I, I, I've tied into it, not kind of knowingly, um, but I, I guess just because I've used it elsewhere. But I think the breathing aspect, I, I really did focus on that, on being like in control of my breathing while um, while I'm shooting. That's really big, um, especially for people who are downrange in combat, being in control of your breathing. That's huge. And they really do emphasize that. You know, you mentioned the, uh, the AM routine. Anything that you do from a PM routine, like to shut down at night and things like that to help you kickstart the recovery process and get a good, get a good night's sleep? Because one of the beliefs that we have, you know, with Brian Kane Peak Performance is that the PM routine actually is more important than the AM because the PM routine, if executed, is what kickstarts the AM routine. If you don't have a PM routine and you're going to bed at different times and your AM routine gets all jacked up, would you agree with that? that that's totally true. If, even if I am intending to have my PM routine go flawlessly and I end up falling asleep later or something. It does. It throws off and makes it like, ah, it's harder to get up in the morning. And so it totally throws it off. I think one of the big things that uh, I've gotten into this summer, this summer, spring slash summer is um, 
really trying to be intentional with staying off of my phone for a good chunk of time before I go to bed. So, um, I, at minimum, it's gotta be 30 minutes, but I'm trying, I mean, I'm trying to be like an hour so that the last hour of my day, uh, I actually will do some sort of meditation again before I go to sleep. Um, if I can't fall asleep, that's the only time that I would use my phone again to play something. Um, which could be either like a sleep meditation or um, I have like positive affirmations of me right. <laughs> talking right. positive affirmations. You saying them to yourself? Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to use your idea about the mental imagery to do myself. Um, I've had other people record them or like hypnosis in, in the past, but I think hearing it from yourself is really, really big. Uh, I do think any sort of guided meditation or visualization is really, really helpful. But if you can do it in your own voice, I think it's, it's easier for you to, I don't know, I, I could be totally wrong, but I think that it helps like seep into your subconscious better. I don't know. <laughs> What's the voice you hear when you talk to yourself? Yeah. Right. When I, when I talk to myself, I don't hear, I don't hear your voice, you know, right. I hear my voice. Right. And I talk <laughs> to myself the way I talk to myself. So I, you're absolutely right. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's, there's a little bit of a hurdle of like, I'm doing guided meditation for myself. Like I'll just do it with no audio, but it's so much easier with an audio because it's giving you the direction and it allows you just mm -hmm. to focus on the direction, not having to create the direction and focus on the direction. You're just, you're kind of eliminating one of the steps. So I think a lot of times people like, hearing another voice, but I do believe it is more beneficial if you hear your own voice. I would agree with you on that. Totally. Um, and also, sorry for my PM routine. Um, so I like to review, like, what are some things that I did well today and what's something I can improve upon tomorrow? Or is there something that I need to get done tomorrow? Um, and I've also gotten into time blocking my night before, which you definitely talk about uh, in, in the 30-day program. And for me, that's super important, especially now, like during the, the whole coronavirus thing and gyms are closed and you know people are kind of like, well, I can just sit on my couch and eat Cheetos all day. For me, it's so helpful to have a schedule that no one is holding me to, but if I schedule out my day, then all I do is look at it and then I, I try and follow it. And obviously, like some of that stuff, it gets off track. Sometimes my workouts take longer than I think they're going to or I might just get behind but just because, you know, I might get a phone call or something else happens or the army needs me to do something. Like there's obviously things that hurdles that they're going to happen. But for the most part, I have a general layout of my day and how I want it to go. And part of that is that are concrete and don't change as of right now are my AM and PM routine. And just those are, you know, like you said, bookend your days, those things don't change. And, um, just having like general things I want to get done in between. And also like my workouts don't change and my recovery doesn't change. My meal times are basically the same every day. <laughs> what, what are you doing? What do you do for a, from a recovery standpoint? Um, so I'm, well, I've added a lot of mobility into my program, um, and just like general stretching. I actually have a bio mat. I don't know if you know what that is. It's hmm. an infrared mat. Hmm. Um, so I don't have an infrared sauna, so I lay on an infrared mat. And so I lay on that for like 30 minutes a day. And, um, just, I mean, that's for now, that's what I'm doing. Usually I would incorporate like a physio or a massage and, chiropractic, stuff like that. Right now, it's just all me, like mobility and stretching. Uh, I'm really focusing on foot yoga right now and kind of increasing my, uh, I don't know, 
foot dexterity, I suppose. Sure. Um, because I, I wear like in skeleton, we wear these brush bikes. They're basically like track bikes and our feet are crammed into these tight little shoes. And so, um, my ability to like move my toes and stuff is not as good as it should be. And I think that that actually would be really helpful for me for athletic performance. I could be wrong, but I like to think it's true. <laughs> you, uh, and you say that as I'm see if I have the foot, if I have the mobility to do this as I'm wearing yoga. Oh, I, ha- <laughs> I, ha- I should have put them on. I should have put yeah, them on for this podcast. Yeah. So I was funny cause I was in the cold, I was in the cold tank before we did the call and now I have the yoga toes on. It's kind of my routine is when I'm on the nice. computer. I'm like, well, we put the yoga toes in and then <laughs> As part of the PM routine, my wife and I, we actually picked up, uh, it was one of the best things we did. She made fun of me when I bought it, but we got an infrared sauna and it's in the garage, you know, and we yeah. literally go in there every night and we'll sit there and we'll play like a game of Mancala where you have a little bee yeah. going to think. <laughs> and then we'll do a, we'll do a 10 minute, uh, calm meditation. And then we kind of just sit and we do a little reflection kind of on how the day went and go through a well, better how, which is like, Hey, this nice. is what went well for me today. This is what I think I can do better tomorrow. Here's how I'm going to do it. So that there's a pressing pause kind of, and like reflecting. And one of the things that you mentioned with the journal, right? And journaling. And I think a lot of people are aware of the benefits of journaling, but they just have a hard time getting started because they're like, well, what do I journal? So, so remove the obstacle for the people listening saying, well, I want to journal and I should journal, but I don't because I don't know what to do. So what does Megan Henry journal about? If you, if you would share with us. So she's hunting I- for her journal. Fantastic. I have a couple. So I have a blank one. And then I have right now um, the Daily Athlete Journal. I like this because it prompts you. um, So like in the morning, the daily dose, who or what am I grateful for? Daily growth, what can I improve or do differently? Daily three, action tasks or steps that will push me towards my goals. And then there's one for night and you go over a bunch of these things. Um, I also am a fan of um, Brendan Burchard's high, high Performance Journal, High Performance yep. Habits Journal. Yep. Uh, I like that too um, because, because I like being prompted. I'm an athlete. I'm good at being told what to do. So I like having that out for me. But I also in my blank journal, um, that's kind of where I'll go over like my goals and my, my I guess my mental visualizations for what I want to happen to me and my gratitude. Um, and so hopefully that, that is helpful. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's super helpful. You know, what's going to be even more helpful is when you come out with the Megan Henry success journal, you, oh make my a, God. you make a journal that you use for yourself. You take a little pieces of all the things that you like and all the things that you're doing, you make your own. And now everybody can have a chance to follow there we go. because you're giving them direction. And then it's, it's just another opportunity for you to continue to impact lives. Like I know is so important to you and you know, like you're doing here with the podcast and looking forward to that journal. That'll be fantastic when it comes out. It will so be. We'll call it the savage journal. How about that? There we go. <laughs> Cause on your Instagram now it says the savage miglet, I think is your name, right? Where does that come That's from? Correct. <laughs> um, so I guess kind of in the army, people used to call me, I mean, we used to say, beast mode. And then also they called me savage. Um, I guess because I think the true definition of savage is actually not that nice, but, um, (laughs) but I think slang it's, it's appropriate. I think because I am a, a small person, I'm five foot two, I'm like 120 to 125 pounds, depending on when in my life you've met me. (laughs) And, uh, so I think that I am 
unbecoming, I guess, in a way that I am out really strong and fast and powerful. And I, I can be, even though I'm shy, I can also be outspoken and I'm really driven. And I think that sometimes that takes people um, by surprise because they're like, there's this, this little girl and she is savage. Know, like, she is savage. Exactly. <laughs> and I think, um, I think I Im- impressed a lot of people in the military, um, just with my, my physical capability and my drive. And, uh, I, yeah, I think that they just weren't expecting it. And so that's where it comes from. It's <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. So if you're not yet following the savage Meglet, M E G L E T. So the savage M E G L E T on Instagram, make sure you engage there with Megan Henry. <laughs> You know, and Megan, like we mentioned earlier, in addition to your skeleton career, right, you're also an intelligence officer in the Army. You've got mm-hmm. a master's degree. You've been a Division One college star. You're a World Cup medalist. Like, how do you stay present and focused with so much you've got going on in your life? Is it just the time blocking <laughs> or are there other things that you use? Because I do think time blocking is one of the most important strategies people can figure out. It's super, super helpful. Um, I think, well, I actually have a course coming up for, so I'm a first lieutenant now and um, I need to take what's called a captain's career course before you can get promoted to captain. And so um, part of that for me is, is distance learning. So it's on the computer. And so, um, which is lucky that I get to do part of it by computer. Um, but I think, so I've, I mean, I've had to go to courses in Arizona. I went in 2016 and I was there for five months and having to go and be in a classroom all day and then at the end of the day go and I mean I had to still be training I was still doing my workouts on my own and I don't know I mean it's just kind of like being a student athlete you know I think that that just the the time management skills started there being a being a collegiate athlete and having to balance going to class doing your homework going to practice you know going to sports medicine. I think it, that all ties together. And so it, it wasn't hard for me. Um, I think just having that experience beforehand and, and even now it's just, yeah, it's just kind of managing your day and making sure that for me, I think time blocking again is, is so crucial because it makes it, makes it easy and you're being accountable to yourself. Mm. And, uh, and it's also easy to know, like, did I do this? Yes or no. It's very black and white. Did I get this done? So, um, I don't know. And I work well under time constraints. And I think a lot of people do, you know, if you have a deadline that you have to meet, like, I don't know, I, I, I work well with that. <laughs> yeah. And I think those, I think it's, it's, it's as athletes and competitors, we're always good at having a deadline. If I have a goal, I can see the finish line. I know what direction I'm going in. And right now it's challenging because with the coronavirus, we, we never know what's going to happen. We don't know when the deadline is. We don't know when we're going to be able to go to a restaurant again, let alone compete. Right. So Right. What would you what would you say to young athletes out there who want to achieve the levels of success that you've experienced, but they're facing obstacles that they're not sure they can overcome? Is there anything that you would say to them? This is a good question. Um, I would say, like for me, uh, I, I just reflect back on when um, when I was going through the blood clots, I, I had to look forward and have, have a goal in mind. And I think that, you know, having, having the long-term goal and just kind of breaking it down, like, what can I do today to get me towards that? And I know that that that's so hard and it's really easy to say, and it's, but it's hard to implement, especially when, um, there isn't a deadline in my, in mind and you don't know it, but I don't have a deadline either. Like right now they've told us that, you know, we may not our season usually starts in October. They're like, we might start in January. We might not have a season at all. 
you know, it depends on X, Y, and Z, but I'm just, I'm operating as though my season's going to start at this time. And if it doesn't, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. (laughs) So for me, it's just, I, I know what I can do today and I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. And I can't change. I think going back to what you emphasize is what, what is it that you can control right now? Mm -hmm. And for me, I can control when I train, how I eat, when I go to bed, these are the things that are in my control. And if it comes to September and my season's not going to start in October, then I will adjust. And I think the, one of the best skills from me being in the military, but also being an athlete is being adaptable. That's like one of the most useful skills is being adaptable because especially in the military, your mission could be this. And then five minutes later, it could be something else or it could be totally canceled. And I think being, a, being able to adjust for and be comfortable with the unknown and the uncomfortable, I think, you know, those are super amazing skills that will carry you, you know, and far beyond the coronavirus. So that's my advice. <laughs> so, you know, Megan, you just said something I think that is so important for, for the listeners to understand is get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable, be comfortable being uncomfortable. And then I think the other piece that you said, it's so good is the adaptability. And it's interesting because you said that time blocking and having a daily schedule is really important for you, but you also have to be able to be adaptable. And my mentor, Ken Revizzo would always say, got to be able to adapt and adjust, got to be able to adapt and adjust, you know? And the, I've, my belief is that there's a balance between you have to be able to adapt and adjust, but you can't live out of adapt and adjust mentality because <laughs> it's just not consistent enough. So I teach and I, and I try to model live with extreme structure, but when you have to adapt and adjust, good, adapt and adjust. But, but I think so many people, when, they, when they're forced to adapt and adjust once or consistently, they go, well, I don't want to, why would I waste my time blocking days? Why would I create all this structure when I'm just going to adapt and adjust anyway? So tell us Megan Henry's perspective on the importance of time blocking and being structured, but also the adapt and adjust and how those blend together to create success. Well, I think it's one, the time blocking gives, again, gives you that purpose, I think. And it it's really easy when you don't time block. So I'm a little bit lenient on the weekends because I consider like, these are my days off. I have a couple of things I want to get done, but, um, but on the days that I have absolutely nothing scheduled, uh, it's really easy to just do things on a whim. And then you find yourself at 6 p.m. and I've done nothing today. So I think that's that's the danger in quote unquote being adaptable and just like, oh, I'll fly by the seat of my pants. I think that's <laughs> I, I don't think that's productive because you'll you'll find reasons to not do the things you want to get done. You'll find reasons to procrastinate if you, if you let yourself, if you give yourself that out, it's going to happen. And so for me, um, time blocking is a skill and a a tool rather that I use so that I I don't have that option. And so, um, and like I said, I'm really good at following instructions and I'm good at, at doing what I'm told. And it, this, fictitious figure is holding me to this schedule. So I, <laughs> I am more likely to do it. And, it, and it, I like it. I like adhering to it. I look at the clock. I see what time it is. Am I doing this and getting this done? And it also helps you feel more accomplished. Um, and so if for no other reason, I think 
being productive and feeling accomplished, you should try and time block. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot where confidence comes from, right? Confidence comes from really two things. It comes from preparation, knowing what I need to do. And then it comes from production, doing what I need to do and actually take to executing, right? So when you've, when you've had the chance to, to win a world championship or when, you, when you've won a national championship, you know, you're, you're, you've proven that you can do it. So that's going to help with confidence. But I think on a daily day basis, executing on your success checklist, executing your AM routine, executing your PM routine, hammering what's in those to-do blocks makes you gain more confidence because you're like, I'm getting shit done. Is that, would you agree with that? Totally, for sure. And and because like, like you said, items on my success checklist are in that schedule. So, mm-hmm. and and when, if I don't get it done, I mean, I'm not going to like beat myself up for days about it, but I will, I notice that and I don't feel good. So there's a, you know, the negative reward, I guess, um, a reinforcement, so to speak that, okay, I don't like feeling like I didn't accomplish something. So tomorrow I'm going to be more attentive to the fact that I get things done for me. Like I'm doing some, some of the mental side, um, of visualization. And so if I don't do that, then I I know because I'm keeping track of that and, uh, and I, I feel bad about it. So I'm trying to like incorporate that and actually attend to it. And so I, I've noticed like what, if my schedule gets off, that's kind of one of the things that I will let slide. And so I'm now I'm trying to be like deliberate and okay, this is a non-negotiable. This is not something that I'm going to let slide. Yeah. Especially for the next one day. 657 times between today and February 20, 2022, <laughs> when the Savage Megalit will go home with the Olympic gold medal because everything happens right. twice, first in your mind, then in reality. Megan, for people to uh, connect with you, if they want to get some more Megan Henry, obviously they can go to the Savage Megalit on Instagram. Is there a website that they can go to or a way that they can engage with you on Twitter or anything like that? How can people sure. stay connected with you? I'm also the Savage Megalit on Twitter. And I do have a website. I don't really update it that often, but it's meganhenry.us, M-E-G-A-N-H-E-N-R-Y.us. Meganhenry.us, engage there. Eventually probably going to be turned to thesavagemeglit.com, I would think. I don't know if that's been taken (laughs) or not yet, but if it hasn't, you might want to scoop that up before one of the listeners of the podcast says, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy this and I'll sell it to her when she wins that gold medal and wants to start that speaking career. So (laughs) awesome. Well, Megan Henry, thank you for joining us. Uh, This has been incredible. I appreciate your service. I appreciate what you're doing, you know, for the U S army. And and I appreciate uh, just your willingness to share your story and you know the inspiration that our listeners are going to get from this. I know I'm fired up. I feel like I need to go get another workout in right now because <laughs> I feel like I'm, as I listen to you talk, I'm like, okay, it's time to go get some. Let's go get out. <laughs> but thanks for joining us today, Megan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. I'll see you next time.